How's it guys? My name is Mark Haystick and you're listening to the Birding Life Youth Podcast. So today's guest is Charlotte Nicholson. If that rings a bell to any of you birders like Nicholson's Pippet, which is now been split into long billed Pippet. Besides the point, Charlotte has been on another podcast on the Wild Eye, I think it's some sort of organization. Very cool in terms of, um, I mean, involved in conservation and that sort of thing. But today she's on the Birding Life Youth Podcast. So welcome to this podcast, Charlotte. Thank you. Cool bananas. So uh, we were just talking before I started recording about a birding topic of how I, I got so pumped about it. Um, I, was, I, I checked this one advertisement the other day of this new optic that identifies birds for you. And <laughs> flip, I mean, so it it's 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 some sort of binocular i i don't even think it has like two you know eye sockets but it scans the bird and identifies it for you and there you go without like checking the bird out checking the bird book you know going through the effort and the the challenge of trying to identify the bird with your knowledge and your experience you can just tick the bird off just like that and i was just thinking you know that that really irritates me and i just got so pumped about it just now but we were <laughs> we were on the topic of which bird apps and bird books you use, um, and I talked to you just now about my first bird book, which is uh, Birds of Africa South of the Sahara, which is like 800 pages long, and it weighs half a brick's weight. I used to carry that around to identify all my birds. Um, but tell us a bit about yourself. How did you get into nature, and are you that much of a birder? Well, I used to go to Kruger as a kid with my parents as, as a self like a self-draft of safari and I was never really much of a birder because I think I was so young but as I got older my dad you know even just driving on the way there he'd point out a bird on the um on like uh, on a tree or on the you know those wires uh, that run along the wires like he'd point out a bird I'd be like oh okay that's cool but then we'd be driving somewhere else and I'd notice that same bird and I'd point out like hey dad that's the same bird and he'd be like yes and I've gone into sort of like a game and he'd ask me hey what's that bird and I'd have to try and sit and remember and it became so much fun and then eventually like I'd start to join in on his walks he goes on like these walks where he'll bird uh even just sitting at the camp or or if we're in Howick or something he'll go for a bit of and I know that he's going birding, so I'll just tag along. And it's I, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I'm not the greatest, but I'm a bit better than um, and the average person, I guess. No, that's cool. Um, yes, many people have so many different ways of how they got into birding and, you know, how birding, like, struck them the one day and how that spark just lit the bonfire. And they're like, oh, this is me now. I'm a birder. This is how I did it. This is the day. This is the bird that got me into birding. But... I don't remember that at all. I just know that I was a birder and a year before that I wasn't a birder. So it was very, very interesting, although I have no idea how I got into birding. But we were on a very interesting topic now as well. Before we get into more of the exciting stuff as to what you're up to um, with your passion and stuff, uh, the bird book that you have is one of the older ones. What is it again? The Sassel. It's backward to front, but uh, it doesn't have like an issue thing that I can see, but it's very, very old. It's my old, my, my dad's old one. And then he got a new one, the Roberts and I'll store this one. Right. The, so it's, I, well, I'll just, I'll just declare it as the Sassel of Southern Africa, Sassel birds of Southern Africa with the Battises on front. Cause many of you birders know what that is. 
I don't actually know that edition because I don't have it in my library. But uh, so that's basically the one that you use basically here. Yeah, it is published in 1993. Nice. So old school. Uh, but you, you also have a, the Sassel Birds of Southern Africa. Um, and I just want to hear it from you, like your perspective and for everyone else out there, how does that help you? Is, is that good enough compared to the other apps? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a look at the Roberts and it, uh, it's, it's great. It's amazing. But it's very expensive and I don't feel like I need it to be, I need it to be much more than what the Sassel is. I've never had a problem where it's like misidentified like something or it, it's things are wrong. You know, like I've never, ever, ever had a problem if, that it doesn't have the bird sound that the bird actually makes or uh, I found it very, very useful. And it still has the fun in it as like searching for it. And sometimes I'll go through the whole list, like scrolling through every single bird to have a look and see, like to try and identify the bird. So it's still, it's really, really amazing. Or I'll be listening to a call and I'll, it, I'll try and identify it from the bird. I mean, from the bird call on the app. So I, it brings like a whole nother dimension compared to the book. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to say like I've had the Roberts Birds of Southern Africa app, and honestly, it's it's probably the best out there, but it's luxurious. Um, and what I mean by that is, it's got everything. Should I say the Sassol has everything the Roberts has, but the the Roberts is just better. It's got better illustrations. It's um, you know, a bit better amount of, um, there's, there's more sound recordings. It's much more detailed, comprehensive is the word actually. So I've had it before, but I wouldn't actually mind giving the, the Sassel Birds of Southern Africa app a try because they're, they're all really good apps. Um, apps are quite a new thing for, for birds actually. And I think for, for bird books, should I say actually, and it's, 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 it's got quite a, a benefit in that you can like take it everywhere with you. Cause I mean, as I told you earlier, this, Birds of Africa, south of the Sahara, you have to put it in your backpack, whereas a phone you can just like slip in your pocket. Um, and this is how I got into birding. But again, this is like the challenge, you know, the challenge was what made it fun. And it was the original, how can I say, analog way of bird watching where you like, you take the book with you and you have a backpack and you have your binoculars. Uh, so I mean, that, that's how I started birding. I could say I'm old school, but I'm not that old. But that's how I got into it. There was no apps. I had a very small camera. Like, so yeah. But apps apps have a big help, um, have a big uh, benefit. And there's some very cool ones coming out that that you can like use the bird calls to call out a bird, which you otherwise wouldn't have been able to, to do if you didn't have the bird call with you. Um, I have a friend who has yeah. a little radio. Like he's got like, a USB that he plugs into it and he presses play. It's like really old school. It's like this old rusted radio that he, he presses play to call like a fluff tail out or something like of the bushes. So yeah, so um, bird call bird calls on bird apps have helped a lot, but you know, there's always that old school way where you play a bird call on like a radio or something, those portable radios and you can get the bird out. So very helpful way of, of, of birding. And as we said in the beginning, birding is becoming like such a, there's so many different ways you can do it. There's there's so much advancing in birding, like this uh, this this binocular thing we mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, where yeah. now there's this binocular that identifies birds for you. And I think you know, advance advancement in birding technology is a good thing until a point. And I think we might be reaching that point where it's too much. 
but the future will tell for itself. And I think everything has an advantage uh, to the way you use it. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I'm going on for too long. So you say you got into birding with your dad. Um, when you're in the Kruger Park, like, is it, you say you have quite a lot of fun with your dad. Uh, now, you, there's a bit of like competition when you're walking with him. Tell us a bit about those experiences. Um, my dad and I don't have a lot of things that we connect on. And birding is one of the things that we do. So I, I have so many memories of us going and sitting in the bird hide. And we'll sit there for hours and he'll sit even just with his book and he'll go through and he'll point out things and like whisper. And I just sit with my binoculars and, and scan and he scans and then we'll point out something. And it's really, really special. I mean, we're not even talking that much, but just sitting there with him and being in his presence, it really, it makes me feel like we have such a good connection and such a good bond and um I just love him so much and I'm so glad that we could connect on something like that and that he's brought me into that sort of area and and he's given me a love for birding that I otherwise don't think I would have Mm, I see so it's a nice way that you guys bond with each other and some like almost like family time yeah now the main aim of this podcast I really wanted to talk to you about a certain topic um and that is the experience you've had in some of the game reserves um, and some of the things you've gotten up to and had the opportunity to do that not many other youngsters involved or with the love of nature have the opportunity to do. So before I get, before I dive into that, let me ask you, when was like the first time you decided you wanted to be a field guide? Because that's something I've, I've really, I've noticed about you really, you really have a passion for wanting to become a field guide and working in the bush. Yeah, it was, I remember it so clearly. I was at a reserve called Manioni, which is in Zululand. And I arrived there, you know, loving the bush, but it was my first time going on a private safari where I had a private guide. And I was, he had a camera, our private guide, um, our guide had a camera. And I was sort of looking up, looking at the camera, like, oh, that's so cool. I'd never really taken photos of the camera before, but he picked it up and he handed it to me and he was like, yeah, you can use it the rest of the time. And 95% of those photos were completely black because they were on manual. It was, the camera was on manual, but he showed me all the buttons and showed me how it worked. And I took photos of like lions and cheetah and anything that we saw really. Um, and I was, I just remember being so happy and I, it's, it was just an overwhelming feeling of happiness. And from then I was leaving, leaving and I was so emotional. I was like, I can't believe that this is over. And then I started to think, you know, like, what if I made this my career? What if I didn't have to be over? And from then I was just, I was completely in love and I just decided that it was something that I was going to push for if I could. Sheesh, that's awesome. It's an awesome way to like find your love for nature. Now, with that drive you got there, you've taken the you've taken the opportunity to, and I'm not sure if if, if this was your parents who like pushed you to do this, or if this was you who, who pushed your parents to do this, but you've volunteered at some nature reserves. Um, so tell us a bit about that. Um, it was definitely me pushing my parents because I live in Durban. So the drives to a lot of the reserves are quite far. But the first time I volunteered was at Pinda. And I was so, so lucky because I didn't think that Pinda would accept something like that. A part of work experience that I had to do for school. 
And um, so, yeah, I got there and I was so nervous because I was going alone and it's like a three and a half hour drive. Um, but I, I got there with all my food and like my sleeping bag and, and everything. And I was there with two other volunteers. And yeah, although I was nervous, it was so amazing. And I was doing ecological monitoring. So I wasn't job shadowing a field guide, but I'm so glad that I job, job shadowed um, the guy that I did because it was more of the conservation side. And I hadn't really thought about that before. And we did stuff like we tagged pangolin, we made sure we, we'd like track cheetah, made sure the collars on right, and that she was feeding well. And there were five new cubs that had been introduced to the reserve and, and um, we were making sure that they were feeding well because they were so young, they lost their mother very young. And uh, we check up on them every day and uh, we'd stay up till like hoppers 10 waiting for the pangolin to come out so we can tag it. On the one I remember was a Wednesday, we dehorned a rhino. And that was honestly the most amazing experience. And I was so emotional and my heart was so full. I can't even put it into words. It was just like, I literally felt like my heart was full of gold and I'll never, ever forget it. And from then I was like, no matter what it takes, no matter like how much work I have to do to study, uh, like this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I'm going to turn back. That was like the moment that hit you that you like, this is it, you know? Yeah. Tell us a bit more about the experience with the rhino that, that was like so powerful. Well, it was, we were dehorning a mother and her daughter and they only decided that on the day. So when we got there with a whole bunch of other people, guests that were actually paying for the dehorning um the two guys went up in, into a helicopter and they just scanned the area to see if there was a rhino that needed dehorning and they found um there was an option of a black rhino but i think because of how many people there were it was just a bit dangerous so they chose a mother and a daughter and they um, darted them and we rushed in like on different cars and um, made sure it f- had fallen right and we had to like mark off the area that um, the dart had gone in because it's it's so the um like if a human I found it very interesting if a human let's say touched the rump where where it had been darted and then scratched their eye within minutes they would be dead because the um medicine is so strong that instead of like making us pass out the, the a human would just die within a few minutes. Um, so I just found that really interesting. But yeah, um, we cut the we cut off the horn. We had to notch the rhino. So that's when you clip the ear of the rhino so that you can identify it. And each notch has a different number. So let's say the number adds up to 360. You know that that rhino is like rhino 360 and you can identify it. And when guides drive past a rhino, they'll count the notch. They'll look at um, the notch, notches, and they'll find the number and they'll record it. And it's just a form of like conservation making, like taking in the, on the rhinos. Um, and then we cut off some hair, some skin, and those went in for sampling. And then, yeah, um, we did the reverse, like, antidote and jumped on the cars and with like minute, like within a minute they were both up and finding each other and I thought that was so special the first thing that they did when they woke up was try and find each other they weren't far apart so um it was just so beautiful to see and I teared up just watching yeah 
Now that's absolutely awesome. Yeah. So that was at these experiences were at like two reserves. You said, hey. You well, that one was at Pinda. Recently, I went to Tula and did a very different experience where we did bush clearing. So that's taking out the alien plant species in the area with a mach- like a machete sort of thing and poison. Where you just walk through with these backpacks of poison and you spray the chopped branches of. Um, we were clearing mainly mainly chromalina. Um, which is an alien plant species that is everywhere. And now I know driving through any game reserve, if I see chromalina, I'm going to have this like resentment towards it because of how how um, destructive it is. So in these two reserves, you volunteered and you had to- two totally different experiences by the sounds of it. Uh, which would you say, which experience would you say is like your favorite and why? I think... Pinda because it was very much um, animal orientated and that's very much what I want to do when I finish school. Uh, I'm hoping to do a BSc conservation and ecology and do a few years guiding and a few years of um, ecological monitoring, which is is mainly conservation. Um, But at Tula, it was very much plant orientated and which is also a form of conservation, but I'm more of an animal person than a plant person and it definitely helped me to learn plants and learn um, like facts about specific plants and um, it's something that I'll need to do a fogasa and it was very fascinating because I'm not so much of a plant person to learn about all these things and coming from people who are very passionate about it and they can just talk and talk and talk and talk and I loved seeing that that sort of sparkle in their eyes as they're talking about you know chromalina or um, you know any sort of other plant that they found fascinating so yeah I definitely think the more animal orientated work is more for me but I can do anything that and it'll make me happy for sure by the sounds of it all those experiences you've had as long as you were in the bush you just had that joy and that 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 feeling that fed you to be there so that's absolutely awesome now i think i would uh i would do a lot to have the experiences you've had that is really really cool i think you've had a very <laughs> blessed opportunity that's so cool uh but yeah very very cool to hear your very cool to hear your story of of how you've had those awesome opportunities in the bush and volunteering and stuff um I know a guy here in the Garden Roots, his name's Tim Carr, and I mentioned this to you earlier. I think he I think he used to work at one of the reserves uh, around Pinda, or it could have been Pinda, uh, somewhere up there. Um, and now he's got a, a nature reserve here in the Garden Roots called Reflections Eco Reserve that he restored from a, a plantation into the exact um, – ecosystem that is it's just wild again so the the caracals are coming back the bushbuck are coming back it's filled with thickets and fain boars and it's right next to lakes it's absolutely beautiful so he's done a really good job um like rewilding this piece of land back into a reserve and i think he used to work at pinda so um yeah I, he's he's someone i know who or who can relate to sort of like what your experience and stuff i think people who do stuff like that like it's so impressive that they have that idea to, yeah, like you said, rewild an area. And I always has so much respect for those kind of people. But sometimes I'll be driving past an area and I'm like, 
you know, if this was in its natural state, it probably would have been so beautiful, so um, and such a good place to, you know, attract tourism and bring in money. And it just, it's so sad that it's now just logs and wood and, you know, pine trees. And it's like, it's so sad. And the people who take that initiative to make it beautiful and natural again, I have so much respect for them. Mm-hmm. No, totally. I agree. And the, the thing is like, he had that experience in the bush. He did his guiding. He did his Fagasa. He was a guide for a long time. And then he, he came down here and he like settled down and he rehabilitated this land. So he's had like this awesome, um, almost story in his life. And I, I would almost, I would say that actually I would love to do the same thing to, to have that experience in the bush, do guiding. And then after that, you know, after you've, you've done guiding, be more involved in conservation where you can take a piece of land and rewild it and he lives on there and so it's it's a really cool lifestyle so yeah no it's totally inspiring totally inspiring um but you know what charlotte it's been awesome to hear your stories awesome to hear a bit about who you are uh so it's been a great chat thanks for coming on to the birding life youth podcast thank you so much for having me cool bananas all right happy birding and be blessed Alrighty then, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Birding Life on all your social media platforms and find us on any podcasting app. Until next time, be blessed and happy birding. Happy birding.